Hey, beer lovers, and welcome to The Antidote, a series of special episodes of Brews News Live. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum. In this series, we hope to engage with the beer community to share their insights, to get some ideas and strategies, and to provide an online gathering place. It's your virtual beer garden, and we welcome you all. Today, we head to Adelaide to check in with Craig Bassford from Big Shed Brewing Concern, and with John Atherton from Brisbane Distillery, who is shifting a big shed full of hand sanitizer. Uh, I am joined each day by my Brews Newsweek co-host and good mate, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. G'day, Pete. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, interesting day for me. First day out. Um, a bit of Just a little bit of uh, work. Uh, did you so got uh, out of the house count as an essential service today, Pete? I did. Well, <laughs> yeah, well yes. Um, well, it's, it was brewery and restaurant related and hospitality related. So producing... A promotional video uh, for a new. Oh, actually, we talked about it last week on the show with Zoe Ottaway, the Altogether Beer. Yep. Oh, cool. Excellent. Which is the uh, other side in Brooklyn, uh, famous. And obviously, they're starting to do it just a little bit tough just at the minute. And uh, it's a, I think, four hundred breweries around the world have uh, signed on. So they, it's interesting. They uh, looking into it today and learning a bit more about it. The guys at other other half have created. Uh, a skeleton recipe, like a, a base recipe, if you like, from which you can then, um, and it's a, it's it's a it's an IPA, it's a six point two percent IPA, but you can go either West Coast or hazy, um, and uh, Brick Lane have chosen to go the hazy side, and then you can so you can tweak it basically to it's a global recipe, but you can tweak it to your uh, local area, which is great, and, um, and of course for every slab provides a uh, a meal. Um, from through Maha Go oh, nice. down here in Melbourne, but yeah, each one's doing a, a different sort of thing. But the guys at uh, at Brick Lane and Ben Carwin from Carwin Sellers, who came up with the with the con- well, I saw saw the concept on Instagram and thought he'd bring it to some breweries in Australia and offered it. Um, Rocky Ridge over in WA are doing one as well. Range up your way are doing one, and uh, and a few others. So. Uh, a really great initiative and very happy to be part of it. Well, Paul Bowker, who's stuck in base camp in Brisbane and couldn't be down there with you today, he said he hope, hopes you had a good day out there, Prof. I tell you what, it was. I was just saying to Matt off air, it was kind of it was um, spooky. It was a bit spooky <laughs> just being out there with uh, where, when everything was so quiet. But I didn't come away empty-handed. John Selton very kindly uh, gave me an empty can, uh, a sample can of the new uh, Melbourne Storm branded. Uh, base lager, so I've got that as a as a little pencil holder here. Nice but I one. do there, there is I, I just I've just noticed a grammatical error, so I'll uh, I'll speak to Paul about that off off air. Um, and speaking of uh, Brooklyn, um, where the other side is from, I, I'm pretty sure John Hull, the American beer writer, lives in Brooklyn, not uh, New York. No, he's in New Jersey. New Jersey, sorry, right? Okay, yeah, he's so, over the other side of the Verrazano Bridge. Ah, uh, okay. Well, he's um, we, we've teed him up on Thursday uh, evening um, to chat chat with him because it sounds pretty dire in uh, New York. So uh, we wanted to find out how things were going in the US, and so we've we've got actually we've got a pretty amazing lineup of guests coming up over the next few days, including. Um, John Hull on Thursday, um, Pete Brown is locked in for Friday, and then uh, Stephen Beaumont is going to be early next week. So we're just going to check in with some of our you know, beer journalist colleagues and find out how what's happening down here mirrors uh, what's going on over there. Talk about uh, jet setting without leaving the comfort of your own home. Exactly, exactly. So we're going from New, New, New Jersey to the north uh, north of England? London, no, no, so Pete's, Pete's London based, north, north so just London, north London, yeah. Yeah, sorry, north of London, not north, north of England, not north of England. Um, and then um, even further, well, north for us, uh, over to Canada. Excellent. Now, can you just check, Matt, are we going out live okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, James Davidson's just posted, I think we lost you guys, but uh, maybe, it's, maybe, maybe he's muted his speaker or something. Anyway. Um, let's get on with it, shall we, Matt? Oh, listen, and before we do go on very quickly, uh, congratulations. Uh, a really great beer is a conversation that dropped today. Speaking of going to the north of England. Exactly. Claire, <laughs> Burnett, Claire Burnett's debut on uh, beer is a conversation. She had a chat with Ryan McCausland from Brendale Brewing. Yeah, no, and it, look, it, look, 
Uh, I mean, anyone that's listening to this is most likely going to be listening to the uh, Beers of Conversation, but um, it, it's a great example of why you don't pre- you know, um, presume or prejudge anything. Um, Brendale, uh, who was you know, Ryan McCausland from Brendale, I'd been hearing about it for a while, and because it had been an old brew for you, it just wasn't really on my radar. It hadn't there was a you know, fair hike to get there, um, and I, I've actually got a cousin who had been going there and telling me great things about it, and I just thought, oh, you know, yeah. anyway. Um, it's Claire's local. She went out and had a had a chat, and it's a, it's a really great little chat, both from Claire's point of view and Ryan. So uh, yeah, uh, get onto it once you uh, finish listening here. Now, is it fair to say that she has, uh, you know, taken our lead and followed in our footsteps, or is she is she carving her own path? She's carving she, her own she, path. Is she navigating her own way through these uncharted waters? She is. It, it was a first time, and as she said, she was nervous, um, but she did a, a great job. And again, look, the thing I love about it, Prof, is, you know, like there are things that interest me, and when I sort of go speak to somebody, you know, there's generally a, like a, a bit of a pattern. Hopefully, it's not too predictable, um, and 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 too boring for listeners because every time we speak to somebody different but I always love uh, I love listening to the podcast that you go out and do because you've asked a different range of questions and it was really exciting to hear Claire ask her questions you know and w- w- with her real enthusiasm um, and, and so she got a whole lot of stuff that probably I wouldn't uh, if I'd gone out so uh, yeah look forward to it. Excellent to be fair they're always they're always fresh and keen and you know um, when they're young but uh, they get old and jaded like us, Matt, eventually. <laughs> they do eventually. But um, actually, speaking of... Um, old and jaded, we're about to speak with Craig Bassford. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say, speaking of uh, podcasts I love, I think it, it would have been around about this time last year on your Easter holidays, you were down in South Australia and caught up with the Big Shed guys. And when I listened to it a couple of weeks later, it was just a cracking chat, Pete. They're, it's fair to say they are masters of conversation. They put the hos in hospitality. No, they they put the hospitable in hospitality. They um, uh, look genuine guys. They when you're speaking to them, you kind of get this idea. Did you, are you guys kind of making this up as you go along? But then you realise that yeah, there's there's an element of of of, of the true entrepreneurship, um, that entrepreneur spirit. But there's also there's there's some smarts behind it to make sure that they sort of you know the, the boat doesn't capsize. Absolutely. Was that, was enough. that enough padding? Yeah, no, no, it is. We, we, we've got Craig here. Hello and, uh... to Craig Bassford. Hello, hello. G'day, mate. Um, hello. Yeah, I, this time last year, uh, we were sitting in the uh, the big shed, not the bigger shed, and having yes. a really good chat. And, that was and... the time. <laughs> so, mate, what have you been up to since then? Anything changed since I last spoke to you? <laughs> oh, you know, we just, uh, yeah, we opened up a new venue, which has been amazing. Um just started making some hands and things like that and, and dialing in new systems and new processes. And then all of a sudden we got hit with a little uh, virus and everything down <laughs> on 14 hours notice. So to say it's been a roller coaster uh, would be an understatement. And I guess, Craig, like a lot of the people we've spoken to on The Antidote have sort of said, oh, look, you know, we were going along doing our thing. We, we sniffed the air. We, we could see what was coming. And so we started to... Um, we started to pivot. We started to change direction. We started to adapt. Uh, you guys, I think, looking back at your uh, your Facebook feed and telling the story, every, there was just so much going on that I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was quite different for you guys. Absolutely, yeah. We uh, were not that bright. We certainly didn't sniff the air and, and pivot. We were too busy trying to get an existing place, well, the new place, um, sort of dialed in and stuff like that. So we spent, we were spending a lot of time on getting the house sorted, getting the brewery sorted, the canning line sorted. We didn't really think too far ahead. You know, we'll look at it like one, one month at a time sort of thing, going, right, what are we going to get done this month? What are we going to get done next month? Because if we, got, if we look much beyond that, um, it would just sort of overwhelm us. So we certainly didn't have any thoughts on – and even that, like I would, I would be – I would love to hear anyone who said, yeah, we knew that in March – or we had an inkling that in March we would shut down the entire – hospitality industry with the exception of bottle shops um, and start to pivot on that because that's just, that's unheard of. I've never seen anything like it. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's pivoting and then there's pirouetting and, and drilling into the ground. <laughs> I think that's what, some, what, what you would need to do. Um, yeah. 
So, mate, you had everything pretty much all like you, you you didn't have anything stuck on the water or stuck in China or stuck in the ports. You'd, you'd pretty much got everything in. It was just a case of dialing everything in. Had you sort of taken on all the obviously you know the first few weeks, the first few months is where you've got most staff on because you you know you you're, you're top heavy. You're training everybody. You're giving everybody hours to make sure that everyone knows you know the the systems and that sort of thing. Uh, is that the stage you were at? Yeah, pretty much. We had just. You know, we're, in terms of the front of house, we've just sort of gotten to a level that we were comfortable with. Um, you know, because we go from a 50-head venue to a to a 250-head-plus venue, you're never, we're never sure how it's going to work. We had an idea, um, yeah. but we had that sort of sorted. And likewise, with the brewery, you know, things take longer when they're, when they're new. So we had more staff than probably, um, you know, that we needed. Well, not more staff than we needed, but there was more labour hours going in to uh, production than ideally that you want, and we just sort of dialed, started dialing in on that. Um, yeah, and then, that, and then this all just sort of happened, and, and away we go. So, Were you better geared yeah. up to, um, to, to doing packaged stuff? Um, like, was it easier for you to say, okay, let's stop doing the kegs as soon as it became clear that uh, the venues were going to be closed, and to say, mm-hmm. oh, thank goodness we've got this new, more efficient, you know, canning line? Oh look, yeah, having the new product um, in cans has been has been great, and but the problem um, the problem was it shut it shut down even with yeah we went we went basically from a week of saying we can have no less than or no more than five hundred in a space, which for most pubs is is everyone, so that's fine, that's not going to hurt yeah. anybody. So the space of a week we went from there to shut. So even if they were going to be open in a limited capacity, we're still the plan then was still to make some cakes. Um, it wasn't until they shut down everything, which was you know nine o'clock on a Sunday night, um, basically giving us the 12 hours notice that that your your a good chunk of your customers aren't allowed to trade. Um, so it just it just brought into focus, like you say, is just putting everything into can. I mean, it certainly helped with uh, boozy fruit. We only released the can, the next batch of boozy fruit came out on was it Friday. And having all can for the first time ever in terms of a run meant that we could normally we have to limit it because we try to get it across the country in our in our little brewery. It was it wasn't much um, there wasn't much to go around. But this time, bigger brew house, bigger batch, all in can. We didn't limit. Um, you know, people could buy cartons for the first time and they could all the to come at once. So yeah, it was it's good in that sense. I mean, we, we're doing the best we can with it. Um, I'd still rather have pubs open and have our venue open. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone there, mate. Um, there, no. You've been involved with the, uh, the the other South Australian indie brewers, sort of in the in, in your patch there. Talk us through um, the the offer that you guys are part of. Yeah, so uh, James McCall um, threw out there that we should maybe do a a craft beer pack um, to let people because I mean what I will say like it's funny when people talk to us about. Uh, how are you going? Well, that's the question you get a lot. How are you going? And and it's a two. It's, it's an interesting question. If you say to me, how are we doing? In terms of the limitations that we've got um, as a business right now, we're going really well. Like people are supporting um, local breweries. I know we're getting a lot of love around the place. You know, deliveries, um, takeaways, all that stuff. I I've been truly humbled and amazed that people, um, even in times of uncertainty, are still willing to back. The little guy and back the independent guy to come and, and support us. So it means the world to us. Um, but it's not something we can do that's sustainable in terms of the business model because it's just not enough uh, dollars going through the going through the system. But um, <coughs> but there's a lot of breweries like that. You know, a lot of craft breweries obviously going to be in a very similar situation to us. So it was about how do we, as an industry, as a local a local part of that industry, how can we um, get people to or let let people Share, you know, share their support a bit, a bit further abroad. So James, of course, said we put, put together, put out there, we should do a mixed uh, carton. So we did that. Um, two beers from 12 different local breweries with, and you know, there was talk about how to name it and stuff, and, and plays on Corona and, and, and survival and stuff like that. But we wanted to keep it positive, so we named it the Heaps Good uh, Craft Beer Pack. You know, uh, retail for 120 bucks online and sold out in four days. So um, wow. yeah, that was really good. So that like again, it's not it's not enough. Without being cold, it, it's not it's not enough dollars and cents in that to keep the business afloat on its own. But 
it's enough emotional support from the public which makes you fight another day. Yeah, and look, like you suggested too, the other thing is that it's um, it's a it's a marketing exercise as well. Like it's it's giving people something and and reinforcing that local, so that hopefully when things go back to normal, they're going to go. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll I'll second I'll have a second thought about getting a West End or a, a Peroni or Corona or whatever it might be. And um, mm. you know that local stuff wasn't too bad. Um, wouldn't have discovered it otherwise, or you know, uh, maybe that's the way to go moving forward. Yeah, yeah, like it's just the again the, the local support. Well, if, if anything good has come from this this carry on, it is that people have learned. I think people have actually had the time to look at what they do um, in terms of where they put their dollars and cents and who, not who needs it, but you know where's it best, where's it best placed. Um, and I think that if they are, you know, when they're making that assessment, they're going, you know what, like the little guy is the guy I want because he's the guy who, like, you know. With, um, I spent last ever since we shut. I've been here uh, for a year, most nights of the week, virtually every night of the week, delivering food and, and beer to people. Um, just because, like, I can't afford to pay someone to do it, and it needs to be done. So, but when people see that, they go, "Yeah, this is this is real for you." Like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> and it's been, yeah, like I said, that support has been fantastic. And I think that I think that feeling, or if, if if we can get anything else out of this, that that sense of, of understanding where your dollars and cents are going and what it means for your local area, what it means to your community. Um, if people can think about that a little more often, because it is easy in this big sort of homogenized corporatized world where you can order stuff online from Amazon or wherever, um, it's easy to get those little guys and what they mean um, to your to your local community. So I'm hopeful um, that that yeah that does that trend does continue. Craig, one of the things that I've noticed, um, just speaking to the, the the breweries, is no matter how far you send your beer around the country, the breweries that seem to have given themselves a bit of a buffer and, and a bit of security through all of this are the ones that have at the same time really put an effort into being part of their community because they're just we're just hearing all of these stories of communities rallying around behind their local brewery. Is that how you guys feel? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, again, I'm going to speak about our experience and, and the experience that I've heard from other people is that, yeah, I think like, it, we, we do what we can, especially with our front of house, obviously, um, to, to be a place, not just where people get beer, but a place where people meet people, make friends, have, have a great time. And, like the brewery's still here, but that's been taken away, and people will generally miss it. Like I've seen, um, like Zoom chat groups come up where 24 of our regulars get together on a Friday night online, and and they these are people who would never have met if it wasn't for the brewery. Um, so the fact that they there's a value in that that goes far beyond the price of beer. So I think if people want to see that survive as much as anything else, they want to have that local hangout. Um, where they feel comfortable and they feel like they're part of something bigger. And they generally are. Like, I, I will happily tell, you know, especially our regulars from Brownwood Street, they help build this new space. Um, and it's always been important to us to recognise that and to honour that because without them, we don't, go, we don't go do anything or go anywhere. So, we're here. Um, yeah, like I said, I think the support of the local, the local breweries has been, has been amazing. We're hearing all sorts of stories about how long this is going to go on, but how long do you guys think that you can hold on at the to volumes that you're selling? It really does depend, man. I mean, I mean, if it stays like this, I don't know. I generally don't know if people are going to because I mean, listen to the Scotty from Market talk about six months and, and be careful what you wish for and all this sort of stuff. I don't. I generally don't know if people are going to be prepared to live this way for a six month period, unless they see, I, I can just see a revolution happening to be honest, if that, if that is the case, hopefully not. But um, I would, yeah, I, I generally don't know. This is the, and this is the hardest part for us as a business is we don't know what's coming next. I mean, the the government coming on board with the, with the, with the job keeper and I think there was an announcement, I haven't seen it yet myself, but announcements today about Corporate, uh, not corporate, um, uh, rent, rent, commercial rent, rent, stuff yeah. like that. That, that to me sounds again. I haven't looked at it, so I don't know exactly. But I think there's like a link amazing... on our resource page um, to it already. Yeah, cool. I'll definitely check it out. <laughs> um, that's the sort of thing that helps. You know, no end. Um, being able to, 
you know, employ staff and, and get some of that money back. Not not all of it, because we don't have, you know, there's a certain amount of people that this place needs to run. Um, but if we can't, if we can't sell enough of it, because we can't, because we don't have enough customers, because all of them have been closed down, that obviously impacts on us. Um, but again, the, you know, our takeaways, our deliveries and stuff, so our front of house, we've had to let go essentially all of our front of house staff, barring, you know, two or three sort of um, uh, permanent staff to run this sort of skeleton crew. Um, that's that's paying for itself. That could that could technically run as it is now quite comfortably. Um, but you know, as you said, we you know, December we we got all this equipment in, and all those all of that equipment has a dollar attached to it um, in terms of loans and bits and pieces. So as long as I guess as long as everyone's prepared to wear some of the pain, we'll, we'll we can we can all march through it together. I think, and if it takes six months, so be it. Um, but if banks start getting restless and, and start like, demanding bits and pieces and other lenders and stuff like that, well then, then that's when other people are going to agitate. So like you have to, you either have to cover it or you have to let us sell to customers. So that means you have to let them be open. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and the whole does my head in. Sorry, if, yeah, if you if you knew, okay, it's going to be minimum four weeks, maximum eight weeks, or it's going to be a minimum yeah. eight weeks, maximum, then at least you can say, okay, well, now we can divide that by, you know, and work out what we need yeah. just to, you know, is it worth keeping the doors open? But when it's this kind of open-ended, yeah. you know, wait, uh, hurry up yeah, and that, wait. And that's, and that's always been the thing. That's always been my frustration, the bit that stresses me out the most and causes me sleepless nights, is that, you know, like I said, on Friday, on a Friday afternoon, they got up and said no more than 500 people in a space. But I'm still going to go. To, I'm still going to go watch the rugby league. And then on Monday it changed, and then Tuesday it changed, and then Wednesday it changed until like a week. You know, Sunday night suddenly we're shut completely. And I'm like, well, I've just seen a week you've just decided to close down an industry, and then like a week later you go, well, you can't go to the hairdresser unless it's less than 30 minutes. And then the next day you go, oh, now you can. But what changed? You know what I mean? So yeah. if there's no, if there's without a clear and, and and I don't, I don't envy the government because, like, it's a virus, right? So you can't say it's going to be six weeks and we'll be fine. But at the same time, it makes it hard for us to plan because we go, right, like you said, if you said, you know, this is going to be the way it's going to be for four weeks, we can make arrangements and, and do what we can do to make sure that we get through those four weeks and then we open up or whatever. But, yeah. you know, it might be faster than that, might be slower than that. So we're just kind of, we're just trying to tread, look it up every day, look at what's the lay of the land, Let's attack this. Let's attack that, um, and we go from there. But yeah, I mean, on the plus side, we try to keep positive on the stuff. So we're trying to come up with new ways to make to to make you know different different revenue streams and stuff like that. And I think every brewer in the country, every independent brewer anyway, will be looking at different things about how they can do it. Um, and it's it's, it's had some, we've had some really interesting conversations about how we're going to engage with our customers in this time because the key for us as a craft brewery, it's not about. I mean, the beer is obviously important, but it's the engagement that people get from their local brewery that they don't get from a CUB or a West End or anyone like that. So that's our biggest selling point. So how do we, how do we as a business keep that engagement and keep that connection? That's the challenge. And we've had some great chats about how we're going to do a few things upcoming, which I won't divulge here because I don't want anyone to copy me, but they're probably working on it already. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the thing. That's actually what we sell. We sell that engagement, we sell that experience and how, how we can, how we can, get that going will help will dictate how long we can sit in this state of flux for. Well, mate, we're all about um, the, the antidote, I guess, the purpose of the antidote is to uh, offer solutions and to offer resources. And uh, I, could, I direct you to, uh, I think it was episode seven, maybe, of, uh, of the antidote. We spoke to Zoe Ottaway uh, about just what you were talking about then in terms of, you know, how do we engage? How do we keep that engagement going? How do we uh, yeah. make sure that we're not bombarding and all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, sure. Recommend a, a, a listen to that because there were some really good uh, tips for uh, some pro tips there to, to help us all out. Yeah, sweet. Thank you, sir. I'll check it out. No worries, mate. Uh, mate, yeah. we better let you go. Um, Thank you, Craig. We that certainly, on behalf of everyone here at the Antidote, wish you guys all the best. Because as I say, you're in a unique position where you know you, you've you've just come out of uh, one venue up into a new one, and all of a sudden everything's kind of turned upside down. Yeah. So, mate, we we genuinely wish you all the best. Uh, knowing you, you guys, much. you know, at the end of the day, we'll all have a beer and laugh about it at some point. But um, for the moment, all the best yeah. from us here at the Antidote, yeah. and thanks no, for joining us. Thank, thank you very much, and thank you for guys for your ongoing support um, for us and the industry more widely. Because uh, it's, it's, it's things like this that keep 
keep us going. And when we do get through the other end of it, you're damn right. We'll have, we'll have more than one, I reckon. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Easy as. Thanks, mate. Easy oh, as. Good guys. on you. Uh, Craig Basford from Big Shed Brewing Concern. Right, it, um, brought, it brought back all of the things I loved about that last chat that you had with him, um, to be honest. <laughs> oh, look, I, if we had struggled to get a second guest tonight, I would have said, no, bring, <laughs> bring Knackers on as well. We'll get Jason in as well. And the two would just bounce off each other and you and I could have just turned the mics off and had a beer. Exactly. exactly. So, uh, yeah, no, but it was great. It was, it was great to hear their point of view um, and, and how they're managing uh, down South Australia. Actually, I would have liked to have found out a little bit more about uh, what they were doing um, and whether they were going to do a backup to their first uh, South Australian Brewers collaboration. But we might have to uh, check in with him later because um, we've got another guest to have a, a chat to. And that's, we uh, do indeed. Yeah, we, we do. And that's uh, John Atherton from uh, Brisbane Distillery. John, welcome to uh, The Antidote. Oh, g'day, fellas. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Now, uh, we're the antidote, and we were just speaking to the guys from Big Shed Brewing, but I understand that you've turned your little business into a big shed filled with the antidote. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've seen that much ethanol assembled in one place, to be quite honest. It's um, scary, the amount that's there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, um, we are we started our distillery last October, and... Um, have a bit of a gin school and a few other bits and pieces associated with it, including a cocktail bar. And uh, now it's um, been completely stripped of its uh, original personality and turned into a hand sanitizer factory. So um, it's uh, pretty cool to be able to do that. Um, and we've done it in a couple of weeks, which has been an amazing experience in itself. So, so tell us the steps. You only opened last year, and so you had a couple of months of trade. Would no doubt have just been getting into swing after the Christmas holidays. And what was the progression of shit? Things are going to happen. To okay, let's down tools and re retool. Yeah, well, that's um, it was kind of a, a interesting, and it was also fairly disappointing for me that um the uh we, we got to this point um. I was under the impression that, you know, hospitals would have hand sanitizer and doctors would have hand sanitizer and they'd be able to get it from some, I don't know, secret stash. I don't know exactly where it would have been, but um, I had a, um, uh, a friend of mine contact me. who's a, a dentist. He's got a, a few dentists um, working for him in a surgery. And um, he said, oh, mate, I was wondering if you could make me some hand sanitizer. So I did, and I took a photo of it and I just tossed that on my Facebook account personal account and um within about three hours i've been contacted by about oh, six seven doctors some friends of mine and some others um asking to buy 20 liters each <laughs> and i thought wow that's uh, kind of interesting and um and then uh I, that was uh, a friday and over the weekend um it kind of escalated and I, I don't know exactly how it got out but um, we got inundated with, well, I got inundated with emails. And then someone from the COVID-19 um, task force got in touch, the um, state government, and started asking questions about our uh, capability and what we could do. And um, having been involved in a lot of software and electronics startups and also um, an earlier life being in special forces and uh, going through Duntroons, uh, I was able to sort of talk to them about what we might be able to do for them and, and built a um, bit of a business plan. So we uh, I did that over the weekend. First thing on Monday morning, I called every single bottle supplier in the state just about and then internationally, oh, sorry, nationally as well, and um, took, well, basically put a lot of money down on bottles, which I thought might have been a difficult uh, commodity to come by and then proceeded to try and get hold of ethanol and all of the other uh, ingredients. So there was a bit of a, a hiccup early on with um, the ethanol supply, and I think it was something to do with the IBCs, the 1,000-litre tanks, um, running out uh, in the area immediately around the, um, the ethanol plant where we buy our ethanol from. And, and I guess um, that's the thing. It's at every step of the way we're seeing you know, bottles to put it in, but then the uh, the... the containers to put the ethanol in and you know getting the ethanol everyone needs to spin up to ensure oh, yeah. we have the supply yeah so that, that, that's partially i mean we've been very reliant on china for a long time for all sorts of bits and pieces 
And this is just one of those things that a lot of people haven't given much thought to until it disappears off the shelves. And then they go, oh, I wonder why that's happened. So I, I think what's happened is China has said, all right, well, we're just going to hold our own stocks here to deal with our situation here. And we're going to ban the export of it, which has meant that every other country that normally relies on factories in that, that country have not been able to get hold of their normal stock, which has left a two to three month gap in the supply chain. So that's meant that companies like mine have been able to, um, well, have had to step up and um, swing their, and pivot their business around to be able to um, firstly supply the product. But we're um, going through uh, what would normally take a year or two of growth in a startup company. We're doing that in, or did that in a week. Uh, find suppliers in huge, huge quantities for plastic bottles. Now, we, we've got a requirement for 20,000 plastic bottles a day. Right? And to be able to find a supplier to be able to match that <laughs> and right at the moment is very difficult because there's, they're normally imported. Yep. There's a few that, two that are manufactured here. Um, we've had to find supplies of all of the various ingredients as well, and they're running out. So I've had to buy huge quantities to be able to maintain supply of that. Um, the ethanol itself, I had to buy, personally buy 112 IBCs um, and ship them down to the plant for them to fill them because they were out. So, you know, and that was to get the ethanol back here. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't have had, been able to get it here. John, before we even get to the packaging of the product, I'm intrigued. Do you just go and Google how do you make san or what is in hand sanitizer, and and then just create a recipe, or like how did you how did you go from botanicals and ethanol and uh, you know all the good stuff to hand sanitizer? Well, uh, that was actually the first thing I did was hit Google, um, but there is a helpful document that the World Health Organization puts out, um, and it's designed for developing countries which seems a bit of a strange thing that Australia need to sort of rely on, but it is built, it is built to be make a hand sanitizer that actually works. So yeah. it doesn't have any fluffy botanical smells or anything. In fact, they recommend it against that because uh, having um, botanicals in your product can introduce pathogens that aren't known and also um, can lead to contact dermatitis. Um, so it's better to just have the ethanol some moisturiser to stop your hands from actually drying out when you're using the ethanol because to tell you the honest truth, my hands are drenched in the stuff all day and uh, they, they feel like paper. Um, so I'm constantly rubbing gl um, glycerine on my hands and that's what we use as the moisturiser component. And then there's a few other um, ingredients as well. So a lot of people have been asking us, uh, is it a gel or is it a liquid? You know, it's, well, it's, it's about the same consistency as gin or vodka, um, <laughs> and the, uh, the reason for that is it's very low residue. If you've got, if you add the chemicals to make it a gel, it's basically some polymers and a few other things, and uh, when you rub your hands together to, to um, cause the ethanol to evaporate, you're left with this sticky stuff on your hands, which would be great if you were playing golf and you wanted your grip to be good or you wanted to catch a cricket ball. I don't think everybody <laughs> wants sticky hands. So uh, we don't put any thickener in ours. Um, we don't put any botanicals in it either. Um, and it's uh, been taken up by a lot of hospitals and so forth and doctors, um, which leads me to one of the other little problems we've had is trying to prioritise um, who should get it first. So we, we decided early on that um, doctors and frontline healthcare workers were probably the most important to protect. So we said we would firstly give a discount to those that group and secondly we'd prioritise them all the way through the order process. So if a new doctor comes along and orders some today, they, you know, using our rules, um, they, jump the queue. they jump the queue in front of somebody who might have ordered two days ago and be waiting for a consumer package like amount. So every single day we have to reallocate and um, redesign who gets invited to come along to pick it up. So we've had over 12,000 orders now, which is totaling somewhere in the order of 60 or 70,000 litres. So b being able to get all of those people to come to my distillery in Jane Street just wasn't an option. I mean, that's more than a quarter of Suncorp. Um, so 
it'd be awkward to have them all rock up in Jane Street in one go. And so, <laughs> nice local so, ratio reference too. Very well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had to, um, uh, well, I rented a thousand square meter warehouse down the road a little bit from uh, someone that was using it as a car park before. And the, um, so we've built a fulfillment center down there, which I put three shipping containers into for our storage and security of our product. And we've built a, a consumer fulfillment center at the front. So people get allocated a half hour time, oh, sorry, a, a, a um, time window to come and collect. And then over, they have an hour to sort of actually rock up. And we're not too you know, stringent on that. It's, it's basically to control crowds. Um, and then obviously we have to have proper spacing in the queue and spacing from our staff and all that sort of safety stuff. Payment and, and yeah. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing, but um, we decided to take prepayment so that people were, um, you know, were locked in to come along and buy because I didn't really want to produce 60,000 litres of it and um, have very clean hands for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so um, that, that meant that um, we didn't have to take cash or payment when they came in the door um, because we knew there was going to be a um, that would cause a lot of a backlog in a normal retail transaction, just doing the credit card thing and then a pin onto the screen in some cases could add two, three, four minutes. And when you're talking about 12,000 people, that adds up to a huge amount. It's much better to have an online payment than a, a real world fulfillment um, in a matter of seconds. And we've, we've actually got it down now that uh, from walking in the door to out the door is a minute or less. And uh, we're really optimizing that. Which means we uh, we started bulk fulfillment from that warehouse last week, and now we're inviting I think a thousand people, twelve hundred people a day to come and collect. Um, and just today, I, um, I started fairly early, but um, we had uh, I think ten thousand liters has gone into bulk containers, um, which is a pretty mammoth effort, but. Um, our staff have gone up, I think we had uh, eight or nine staff two weeks ago. We've now got 26. Um, and of that, uh, a large number of them are hospitality workers that have been put off from other bars that we like, you know, we, and we know all these bars in the city. So they, they, they know how to handle ethanol. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess they do. They're, they're slinging it in a slightly different way. <laughs> But and, uh, there's no shakers involved. But um, yeah, so, I was going to ask um, if they put a little olive on a toothpick <laughs> with a shorter. Yeah, the olive, the size of the olive that it need to go into the tanks I'm looking at at the moment is the size of a basketball. So yeah. So mate, just just in terms of quality control, because obviously if you're going out to doctors and things like that, we want this stuff to be working. And we've seen uh, yeah. Yeah, a, a brief uh, hiccup um, when Brewdog um, was doing it. That they weren't hitting the strength that w w was needed. Is, is there yeah. any um, testing or any, or, or do you just 80% and you're good? Well, um, generally speaking, if you do everything according to what I know as, as a, a, a distiller, you'd be pretty pretty sure of producing a product that was uh, efficient at doing what it's you know designed to do. We've had our product tested. Um, there's a large group of hospitals that have banded together to uh, purchase it in one buying group, which means we don't have to prioritise when hospitals, that's their uh, buying group's decision to do that. And um, they had it tested and basically came back uh, two days later and said it's a real deal. Um, there's the uh, TGA approval process is also underway. That takes four weeks to um, test because you're testing to kill bacteria and the, the tests take that makes the time it's mm. not something you can speed up um i offered more, to pay more money to get it sped up and they said no the bacteria won't die any quicker if I <laughs> pay more money so, so we just have to wait um damn bacteria so, yeah yeah so um if if you follow all of the guidelines and the who organize the world health organization has those guidelines and they're quite stringent so the average hand sanitizer that's a gel that comes out of china is somewhere around 60 to 70 percent or so it says on the label mm -hmm. i don't I, I guess someone tests that every so often but they might get a tga test done once and be approved i don't know um we're putting uh 80 percent 
um, ethanol in, we buy it in in 96% and then we denature it um, so that it's not fit for human consumption. Otherwise we'd have to pay excise on it, which by the way is over $86 a litre. So that would probably cause a few people some angst if we tried to sell it with excise attached. Um, so it's quite weird to me that we're, we're selling hand sanitizer that is denatured. It's exactly the same stuff that you drink with some other ingredients in it. One thing attracts a massive tax and the other thing doesn't. So, um, and, and just speak to me. So, so with your distillery, um, do you produce a, a quantity of your own ethanol oh, through yeah. the distilling process? And it's just a matter no, of I'm, you couldn't possibly keep up with the demand. How much ethanol could you produce yourself in a week? Absolutely. Great question. I'm glad you asked it because I had forgotten to mention the differentiation between our ethanol and the stuff we buy in. So um, to make our um, alcohol for and a neutral alcohol, uh, we uh, use malted barley and we use 300 kilos of it. We mill that. That takes about two or three hours to mill it in our mill. Uh, and then we put that into a – we've got stills that are fermenters and stills at the same time. Um, we don't, you know, they, that operation is done separately, but we put it into the, the vessel and it takes about four days to ferment and we'll get about 200 litres of ethanol off it. Um, and it'd be remarkably like a single malt whiskey until we separate it out and, and dispatch the, the heads and the uh, tails and keep the heart as our, um, our gin base. So we use um, barley for good mouthfeel and a, a few other reasons that, um, is the um, original way that uh, Geneva was made. So the original Dutch drink was very similar to gin. Um, so that, that process, including the distillation part, uh, would take us in the order of a week to produce a couple hundred litres. Now, if I tried to do that at scale, I'd need <laughs> rather a lot of fermenters. I, I did toy with the idea of getting a, a local brewer involved to supply me the wash that I would then distill every day, but that would still only be 200 litres of ethanol a day. And we're um, using 10,000 litres a day at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, that's mind-boggling, but um, when you look at it all in one place, I'll tell you what. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that basically meant that we couldn't... I, I've just put, put the stills in the corner and look at them longingly every so often and wish I could make some gin. <laughs> Lucky I've got a secret stash of my own stuff upstairs that um, I can take home and have a Negroni when I get home just to settle the nerves. One, <laughs> one of the questions, uh, I'd, I'd join you for a Negroni uh, once this is all done, but uh, one yeah. of the questions we've had in the chat room uh, you know, is, are you still producing any gin? It sounds like you're all uh, you know, hands, to the, uh, hand, hands to stations to uh, just try and keep up with sanitizer. Yeah, it is. Um, I couldn't see myself being able to, well, not for at least a few weeks. Um, I can, I, I've got a, another facility that I'm renting next door, which is where we're expanding our bar and gin school into. So we're getting another 200 square metres next door. I, I think I'll probably be one of the only venues that's in a mood for expansion. Right <laughs> um, but uh, I think the, our bar that we had, whilst it was great, and we had a fantastic cocktail um, staff, um, it was underneath our um, mezzanine floor and barely enclosed. And I don't think people are going to want to drink in that sort of environment going forward. Um, when this is all over, hopefully it's soon, I think people are going to want a more airy space. And what we're doing next door is we've got a long, long, um, it's almost 30 metres long, and um, it's seven or eight metres deep. But along the wall, uh, walls it faces out into a park and we're opening up all the doors so it's going to be a nice nice venue with some um some big uh big big openings that uh allow a lot of air and movement in so um that's one of the reasons i'm doing that but i think also that the hand sanitizer business is probably going to be a part of our business for a while because people are looking to shorten their supply chains that was actually my next question is like is this just a temporary thing that you're doing or well, it's very, it's very difficult to tell. Um, how does Johnson and Johnson come and smash me out of the water? Well, I guess they, they could, but they're. Uh, I'm just picking a name at random. I don't even know if they make the stuff. Um, to be honest, but um, I think uh, there's something to be said for at least some distilleries, if not all, in Australia, to have a component of producing things that are valued 
not just alcohol for consumption, but things that are valued within the community. And I think the government's stance on that has been, their, their approach to me certainly has been, you know, on behalf of hospitals and others, has been very much along the lines that, uh, you know, we really want you to do this and we want somewhere in Brisbane to be able to buy it. And I don't want to ever rely on having to buy things from a long way away ever again. Um, and uh, which is promising, but um, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to tell whether this business is going to evaporate in uh, two months when cheap stuff from China comes back online or, um, or if it's going to be a, a long-term change. So we'll see what plays out there. Um, to be frank, I'd, I don't mind if I never hear the words hand sanitizer again. But, <laughs> but I, I really like gin. <laughs> and the, the, the most disappointing for me uh, thing for me is that this whole thing didn't blow up one week later, to be honest, because I was about to bottle my new um, uh, barrel finished rum, which was um, we make an agricole rum. Um, so that's from sugarcane juice rather than molasses. And we've um, finished it. I won't say age because it's fairly young rum, but it, we've finished it in uh, Pedro Jimenez barrels, which um, is drinking fantastically. And I was about to put um, a few hundred bottles down, you know, out of the barrel, but uh, they're stuck in the corner behind um, a bottling. <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to get to them for a while. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's sort of where I'm at. at. I think, um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep manufacturing it. It'll be a, a line, if not a huge volume line. We'll probably still keep making it for some time. Oh, mate, thank you very, very much for for uh, joining us. It's been a fascinating chat uh, into into the world of uh, hand sanitizer. Who would have thought that a beer podcast would uh, be talking about hand, hand sanitizer in, in any uh, world? Uh, if you'd asked me three weeks ago, I would have said that, what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, just before we let you go, I'm based in Brisbane. There's no chance I could uh, sneak down and just grab a litre tomorrow. Any chance? And yeah, on like... Negroni or hand sanitizer? <laughs> a litre of each. Can you do a, you a pop- Negroni flavoured hand sanitizer for him, please, John? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, that would look good, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll take the um, 8.30 to 9 window, if that's okay. <laughs> Why don't you spin past and have a bit of a look through the window? I, I should be there. I, I'm getting more and more tired if the day goes on. I, I normally st- uh, Here, I normally start at uh, 4.30 um, because my son's a rower and he starts just down the road at that time. But um, I've been coming in at about that time and working through till eight or nine at night. So as the chances are you'll see me here. Um, we're working pretty hard to try and get the... Um, <laughs> I was only joking, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to really put, put the bite on you. It sounds like you've got enough uh, call on, on, on your product or, already. So, uh, thank, no worries, but, but thanks very much for your time this afternoon. All right, cool. I'll talk to you again. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks, okay. John. Bye. Well, there's, uh, a, there's a lot to process there, Matt. Uh, look, it... I think it's great that, um, and I don't mean this in any way to sort of, you know, juxtapose the um, the gloom and doom that, or the, you know, the, the hard times that a lot of people are experiencing. But gee, it's a nice to have an upbeat um, story where, you know, this has created a situation where somebody has been agile enough. Uh, and, and look, being let's let's face it, there's a lot of dumb luck goes into any situation like this. Oh, and, but, and, but, and, but to and be I, able to go, you know, I, like, bang, and then to be and then, you know, paying it forward to saying, okay, well, you know, these are our partners, our supporters, our customers. Um, we can take some of their, you know, we've got some job opportunities and looking after those guys. So I think mean, that's that's terrific as well. Oh, and but I, I think a lot of that upbeatness was just sort of like energy that hadn't yet uh, petered out. So like it was, it was probably adrenaline. So, um, but no, oh, actually, I have a feeling these 12 hour or 14 hour days that John's going through and, and just, uh, he would have no time to stop. It'd just be go, go, go. Um, at, at some point, yeah, he's got to make sure he looks after himself and uh, and doesn't hit the wall too hard. But even just a thought, I mean, when you stop and think about it, you know, at, at a pretty rough time when no one knows what's going on, committing yourself to you know tens of thousands of liters of ethanol and the containers to put it in and all of the sort of moisturizers and stuff like that is is a pretty big thing. So I mean, that'll be something that uh, still waiting to hear exactly when we'll get Cameron Dick on um, the the minister for industry in Queensland. Um, but, you know, if they've got a COVID task force, that's one of the things that, you know, the government probably doesn't probably get enough, um, you know, recognition Shoot for. Shoot us for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, no, exactly. 
Anyway, mate, it's been a listen, long podcast. Uh, it so. has been. We must go. We must away. And now, listen, now, I'm not the sort of person who, you know, lays bait or puts little, you know, incentives for people to listen to. But I have been working on some outros, Matt, at the end of the song. So I'm just going to reward listeners who do hang on. Obviously, you, you know, if you do need to nick off, go. You'll listen to it on uh, on replay. But I, um, I've been working on some outros and I uh, welcome any suggestions. Hit me up producer at brewsnews.com.au if you have any any suggestions for uh, for outros. But I'm going to do my first one this afternoon after you um, after you uh, did the play out music, Matt. <laughs> oh, so you're ready for play out music? Well, we, we thanked well, everyone. Uh, um, well, we have tomorrow we've got uh, Wade Curtis um, from Brisbane's Ballistic Brewery who, again, they've, they've closed a venue, they've done drive-through, they're you know, a really good example of a business that's just doing what needs to be done to stay open. And then we've also got uh, Dan Emery from Welder's Dog in Armadale um, to talk about their bunker boxes going ballistic. <laughs> so you did that. <laughs> twice. There you go. So uh, yeah. So stay tuned for tomorrow. Um, Thursday we've got John Hall uh, coming from the US, and Friday we've got Pete Brown, and hopefully at some stage we'll also have the minister. Um, so huge week of the antidote coming at you. And uh, Pete, if, if if you're satisfied that it's done now, I'll uh, get into a little bit of soothing music. Thank you very much to all of you in the chat room. Play us out, Matt. rising country star Pandemic with her latest release, Wash Your Damn Hands. You're listening to Afternoons with Matt Coffinghard and PPE Mitchum on RBN National Radio. And we're out.